0: Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters.
1: Welcome to a very special episode of MASH Matters. Jeff, it's like when they would have special episodes of different strokes or yes. this week on a special episode of Chico and the Man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll save that for our Chico and the Man podcast. But yes. hello, yes. Jeff Maxwell. How are you today, sir?
0: Hey, Ryan Patrick, I'm fine. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be one exciting episode because nobody has got what we got. I'm talking nobody. I don't think.
1: Well, I know one man who has what we have, and it's because of him that we are able to bring you this episode. Late last year, we had the opportunity to talk to Michael Hirsch, who was the director, producer of the excellent documentary Making MASH and also the Memories of MASH special that aired on CBS. Now, Michael mentioned to us, you know, I have this audio cassette David Ogden Stiers, he one day brought his little tape recorder to the table read of one of the episodes and he recorded the read through and then he sent me the cassette and he said, you know, uh, I have this cassette. Would you guys be interested in using that audio?
0: And we, we drooled for about, what was it, about six seconds?
1: After I came to, <laughs> I was able to say, uh, yes, we would love to have that. <laughs> it was so wild to go out to my mail one day, and there is an audio cassette, and on it is written in David Augensteyer's handwriting, expressly recorded for Michael Hirsch. I, I, I got chills. I mean, I really did. I, I got chills. And as I'm sitting there listening to it, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm the only person in the universe right now who has this and is listening to this. And now we're going to share this audio with you. Thank you first to Michael Hirsch for allowing us to use this audio. This is very special. I'm
0: actually on my knees now bowing in (laughs) reverence to him being okay with giving it to us because it's really a special thing very special.
1: It really is. And a very, very special thank you to David Ogden Styers for bringing his tape recorder to the table read so many years ago and doing this. He didn't have to do it. He just did it for fun and he thought Michael would enjoy it. Now, because David did that, we're all able to enjoy it. And so we want to dedicate this episode to the memory of David Ogden Stiers.
0: You know, maybe we should just very quickly, just in case somebody out there doesn't know what a table read is. Uh, Table Read was done with every single episode ever shot. And that means that that was the first day uh, everybody sat around a table on stage nine and they would read the entire script. So that gave all of the cast a chance to read it out loud because they got the script a couple of days before that. But that gave everybody a chance to read everything out loud. You can kind of hear yourself talk and the other characters talk. The writers were sitting there listening so they could hear what it sounded like, the rhythm, the jokes, and so forth. And then from there, after that That was done. Then everybody get up and and various sections of the script would be rehearsed on the set and the director photographer would go out there and they kind of rehearse different scenes just to make sure they all know what it was supposed to look like. But the table read is such a unique thing because it's the first time the cast has said all these words out loud and had an opportunity to hear their cast mates saying those words as well. So it's a real special, very unique thing that we have. And yes, certainly thank you to Michael Hirsch and thank you to David Ogden Stiers for doing this because it's a real special moment and I think everybody's really going to enjoy it.
1: The episode is Bottle Fatigue, featuring a guest appearance by Shelley Long, who you will also hear. Uh, you're going to hear everybody on this episode. That's what's so cool about this particular episode. I think everybody's in it, including Jeff Maxwell. Igor makes an appearance. Wow. Now, a couple of things. This was not professionally recorded. David brought his tape recorder, put it on the table, and pushed record. That's it. So we're giving it to you unedited, unpolished. The audio quality is better than I expected it to be, but it's still not fantastic because it was a long table and you know somebody who is sitting at the far end of the table away from david is not going to be heard as well as somebody who was sitting closer to david but we wanted to present it unedited raw just as it would have been if you were sitting at the table this is a rare opportunity to hear audio a full episode the MashCast reading bottle fatigue for the very first time <laughs> thank you to Michael Hirsch. Thank you to David ogden Styers. Because of them, we are now able to bring you this exclusive audio of the MASH table read of Bottle Fatigue on MASH Matters.
2: Worst time call I'm about
3: to say a phone call Okay. Uh... Office is clogged. Everybody slowly walked in, tired and broken. Anybody know what
4: time it is? Quarter past catatonic. I oh, had yeah, twenty after.
5: Sympathize our exhaustion. Times like this, I feel a debt of gratitude to that old Kentucky gent who discovered you can do more with barley than make soup. You are referring of course to the great knee high of alcoholic beverage. I
4: suppose having a bit more elegant.
5: Who gives a rat's hat? So long as it numbs. Salmonella! <laughs> <Seminar. laughs> so long as it numbs the noggin. Here they are,
3: folks. Hot off the press. Last month's
4: part tabs. Don't push, everybody gets one.
5: Just put my tab on my tab.
6: All right, now you've gone too far, Igor. This isn't a bill, it's a phone number. $38.20. <laughs> I can't be responsible.
4: i went to the drug in the drug. I double-checked it, sir. $38? Mine's only $22, you, and falling away. Well, I'm not surprised, Pierce, the way you bend your elbow.
7: Give me a double scotch. <laughs> 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 There's
5: be over 150 drinks. Gin and tonic. Bourbon, neat, cognac.
4: What? Like your cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
6: going to save this money and <laughs> bought a student of it.
4: Big deal, you'd have just driven us to some bar. Gee, <laughs> this
6: is just the tip of the ice cube. What
4: about Rosie? What about the still? Ah, uh, no, no, no. You can't include the still. That's not drinking, it's flame swallowing.
5: Charles, we're talking serious boozing here. No, son, you're getting stirred up with your own swizzle stick. We've all been doing more hoisting than a navy crane, but drinking's been a part of soldiering since Caesar invented the hangover. <laughs>
3: I agree with Pierce. He drinks too much. Hit me again. <laughs>
4: Relax, Pierce. My own alcoholic consumption has been elevated from this leper colony, but when I go back to civilization, it will return to normal, so shut up and have us nod.
3: Sure, another
6: excuse to drink. Let's drink because we're happy, let's drink because we're sad, let's drink to remember, to forget, because there's a war on, because there's a low on. We'll run out of booze before we run out of excuses. Oh, what's your pleasure? Nothing.
5: Nothing? As in
6: Zip. zilch,
5: zero. Now, Pierce, a two-ton bar tab is no reason to take the <laughs> pledge.
6: <laughs> not forever, just for a week. Prove I can do it.
4: Care to join me? uh uh-huh. no, sir. I quit not drinking when I was a kid.
6: Oh, sure. Well, I'll have it your way, but I'm putting myself to the test.
4: Bully for you, Pierce. Summon all your concentration and willpower. You'll be drunk by tomorrow.
3: Well, I think it's a wonderful idea. A toast to sobriety. Here, here. Yeah. Yeah. And a swamp. And There's a bright golden <laughs> haze on the oh moon. Bea- There's a bright golden <laughs> haze, oh a
6: haze on the Oh my God. The sun is as high as a drunk can <laughs> be. Do
3: you know anything from Naughty Marietta?
6: <laughs> nope.
3: Good. Sing that. <laughs>
6: Come on, wakey wakey. Coffee's hot. Get it before the scum settles.
3: Yes,
4: you remind me of a dog I once had. He, too, was cheerful in the morning, so I gave him to a family of immigrant Japanese, and they ate him.
6: Come on, Marie. The dawn is breaking. You
4: be swine.
6: How did you know? <laughs>
4: Everybody up. You don't want
6: to be late for your hangovers.
4: Hark, oh, you're shaved, clean. Rest. That's revolting. <laughs> what is it, parents' day?
6: Sure, folks at the able-bodied. While you two were embalmed, I stepped out for a brisk morning walk. Such fun getting up without the wrath of grapes. Mm. Good morning, men of medicine. Mail call. Ah, <laughs> oh, excuse me. I seem to have stumbled into the intensive care unit. <laughs> Actually, they're rejects from triage. Sir, you look wonderful. Where is the South we've come to know and pick up off the floor? <laughs> Spending a week on the wagon. This is a new Hawkeye Pierce. No preservatives. You're quitting drinking? I better call my broker and dump my Seagram stock.
4: Gabriel, I believe you mentioned mail. Would you kindly of complete your appointed round? Oh, oh, yeah, sure. Light load today. Coastal patrons, Winchester, CE, 3. <laughs> Give me that.
6: Gentlemen, next time I make a delivery, I suggest you keep this man on a leash. ah
4: uh-huh. uh-huh. Let it letter from my sister, Honoria. Isn't she the lady wrestler? <laughs> bear me delirium <laughs> tremens wit.
3: Freeman. He
6: didn't say tremens, did he? Yes. Yes, yes. did. Yes. Yes.
3: That's Pyrrhal.
6: And Dave. B, Hurry up. and get dressed. We can play some golf.
4: Are you kidding? I'm in no condition to drive.
6: <laughs> <laughs> See what you've done to yourself. Your body is a temple. And the short,
3: pist- pistolines <laughs> the pistoleen, <laughs> have drop in. You drop my pistoline in your mouth hit <laughs> you and then i not shut <laughs> up.
4: Dear Keenan, Rubin.
3: Uh oh.
6: What happened in Hawkins, <laughs> Boston? <laughs> what happened in Boston, Charlie?
3: <laughs> the Honoria.
4: Lucy, thank Sorry,
6: Start from scratch.
4: How could such a thing happen? Her mother and father must be beside themselves. What's wrong? Is she sick? She must be engaged to an Italian.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Ring up! Ring up!
4: (laughs) What time will that donkey be out playing post office? Hello? Hello? Of course, this infernal doesn't work. Why should it? Wasn't Marconi in Italian? <laughs> Anna, oh. Oh.
3: Uh, <laughs>
4: book me through to Boston immediately. Lauren, 6484. Yes. Boston, Massachusetts. Geographic whiz.
3: <laughs> Who am I?
4: Who are you? <laughs> Sparky.
3: Well
4: <laughs> Sparky, flash this call through at once. This is an emergency. I need no authorization. <laughs> oh, is that so? Well, I'm a major. You are a supercilious twit with a name befitting a cocker spaniel. Now for the last time, ty- Klinger, thank heaven. Yeah. Explain to Alexander Dumbbell that I must get through to Boston immediately. Boston, Massachusetts? No, it's spending the winter in Florida. <laughs> Hello. To whom do I have the pleasure? Sparky, <laughs> you not Oh, Sparky. a Long time now.
6: To... Huh? I can't talk about it now. He's standing right next to me. <laughs> All right, I'll tell him. Well. Sorry. No personal phone calls to the Zone of Interior. Matters of military urgency only.
4: No exception. This is military urgency. My sister has surrendered to an Italian.
6: <laughs> wow, this could be the end of civilization as we know it. Just just get me
4: the telegraph office and so...
6: No can do. Gorillas knocked it out yesterday. Could I interest you in a carrier pigeon? Oh, well, I must get through the possible. Sir, I'm certain your sister will understand if the wedding gift arrives a tad late.
4: Gift? A gift? <laughs> Have you no sensibility, man? How would you feel if your sister were marrying a swarthy, dark-haired olive picker? <laughs> she did.
5: <laughs> and for your information, Major, so did my mother and my grandmother. Not to mention the future Mrs. Max Klinger, whoever she is.
4: <laughs> now I say something a friend. Did you? <laughs> Colonel, it is imperative that I go to Boston. Boston, Massachusetts. (laughs) Yes!
3: Yes! Boston, Massachusetts! (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Uh,
5: Now, just hang on to your Homburg, Winchester. (laughs) You come barreling into your CEO's bunkhouse. (laughs) Fellow, at him like a berserk buffalo, <laughs> aggravating his anger oh. and his hangover, all because you want to bug out. <laughs> How'd you like spending the rest of this war with a bullseye on your dome? <laughs> Perhaps I
4: have expressed myself with too much
3: heat.
4: <laughs> I'm under terrible stress. You see, my
5: beloved sister Honoria has betrothed herself. <laughs> well, congrats all around. Who's the lucky Caballero?
3: Caballero!
2: Caballero!
3: That's Caballero. <laughs> oh,
4: <man. laughs> no, 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 Gun. I, I, don't think you understand. The man is Italian. <laughs>
5: Okay, the lucky Paisano. Look, I know how much you want to be there for the nuptials, but if I let you leave, people will be wanting furloughs for Groundhog Day. Sir, I do not wish
4: to attend the nuptials. I wish to prevent them. How's that? You cannot be unaware of the shattering effect this will have on the Winchester clan. Try me. Well, <laughs> surely
5: as a horseman you can understand you don't sire a fine thoroughbred with Tony the pony. Well, when you put it that way, I can see your problem. Permission denied. Good night. Sir! Consider poor Honoria. She's young. She's infatuated. I can't stand idly by while she lets herself in for a lifetime of linguine. <laughs> Sounds to me like you better quick develop a taste for clamsauce. Oh, uh, sir. <laughs> look, boy, aren't you being a bit highfalutin on this score? It's 1952. This is America. Remember those words inscribed on the lady with the lamp? Give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. What do you think the slums are for? <laughs> New sheets
1: for old.
4: New sheets
7: for old. The
1: doctor, if you would like to change the linen.
4: All true. It's happening to rewrap his dressing, and under no circumstances is he allowed to flamenco.
6: You see, doctor. how can I check on patients if you're changing sheets?
7: Doctor, we always change the linen at eleven thirty. Well,
6: you can let a person know, you know.
7: So, Hawk,
6: how's the world treating you? There, I've been looking for this pen for two days.
4: I guess I picked it up by mistake.
6: I left this pen on my footlocker. My footlocker! That is hardly a bequest to the general populace.
4: Sorry. I don't know what came over me.
6: Gee, Margaret, what is that stench? Stench? That odor. How can you miss it? It smells kind of like <laughs> sardines marinating in a What happens to Huh?
3: Perhaps it's a disinfectant. No, no, Major, I know what disinfectant smells <laughs> like. Here he's going, too. Yes. <laughs> this is
6: more like infected.
4: Four yeah. more days of his sobriety is going
6: to drive me to drink. He got mad at me this morning <clears throat> because he didn't get any mail. Who'd
5: want to write a diary like that? What,
3: what Dr. Pierce is doing is extremely courageous. For your information, Corporal, Captain Pierce is irritable because his reduced alcoholic intake is having a physical effect on his body. We have to be understanding and supportive.
6: I got a better idea. We tell him he needs a malaria shot and fill the hypo with booze. Ah, you never get the ice through the needle.
3: <laughs> okay, in the swamp.
6: Uh-huh. Hawkeye, what's the matter? Can't you sleep? Not in the Vic Tandy Health Club. <laughs> I feel so restless If someone would open up an all-night bowling alley and make him rich beyond his wildest
3: dreams.
4: Lucky, lucky, lucky me. <laughs> note, Capitano's meals. <laughs> well,
6: well, it's the Leaning Tower of Compass.
4: Who does that Rosie think she is calling me a rummy? I wish she'd be some lead. How rude. What
6: well, you are is a wino.
4: Thank you for upholding my honor.
6: Ye, Charles, not so close. You got breath that could trip a landmine. Hey, guys. See me in my bunk.
3: <laughs> see that. See that darkness
6: outside.
0: <laughs> those, uh, those are unmistakable
3: signs of night. <laughs> Why don't
6: you leave the talking
1: to the crickets?
4: Sorry, bees. My lips are sealed.
3: <laughs> <laughs> ah! Ah!
2: I don't believe this. Who told you you could rehearse the Thomas Edison pageant?
4: I must finish this letter Donna. My sister. You've
6: written her three days in a row. You're trying to get bulk mail rates? You unamusing
4: little man. <laughs> I'm trying to prevent a wedding that begins with Hey, you're taking this woman. <laughs> Spoken
6: like
4: a true patriot. Charles,
6: redneck, white sheet, and blue nose (laughs) For God's sake, I'm trying to sleep
4: Well, you've got your blankie What do you want, a lullaby? (laughs)
6: Oh, good. Have another drink, Charles. Face up to your problems face down.
4: Why not? Because this will is more than equal to anything that would serve at my sister's wedding. It's the thing to wash down an elegant repast of pizza, ravioli, and skongili. Before
6: <laughs> you start writing poison pen blessings, why don't you lie down and dry out?
4: Inebriation will enable me to frame the words that will sway an aria.
6: Perfect. Right now, you're an expert on swaying.
4: Dear Dodo. Dear
2: Charles, on behalf of Honoria and myself, shut up!
4: Have you taken leave of your senses, giving up the DAR for the sons of Italy?
6: (laughs) When you mail that, you better wear a disguise.
4: Dress up as a human being. Nobody will recognize you. I await with bated garlic breath your first birth announcement to honoria and veto the big knife machete, a 12-pound, 10-ounce organ grinder.
1: That does it. That does it. I've had it with your sanctimony and your,
4: your sanctimony and your bigotry. Wait a minute. One of you, what I need is some tranquility, like in a machine gun nest. What is wrong with this place? Everyone's in such a filthy mood. I've
3: noticed
4: that. <laughs>
6: Okay, in the best sense. Yes, please.
4: Oh, hmm. a
6: football locker room. No, no, no. A hyena's cage. No, no, wait, wait. The inside of a fisherman's boot in Newark. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> the potatoes on
3: the inside. I think it
5: would be a lot easier. Getting these vittles down without the nasal appraisal. <laughs> I call them as I smell them. <laughs> Just
4: swell having you around, Hark. You won't let me sleep? The least you can do is let me eat.
6: Go ahead, eat. But if your senses had the sense that my senses have, you wouldn't touch that stuff with a ten-foot pork. Since the bale of alcohol has been lifted from my brain, I've discovered a whole new world out there, and you have no idea
4: how disgusting
3: it is. Look, Captain.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I understand what you're going through. It's admirable. It's noble. It's an inspiration to us all. But I think I speak for the entire congregation when I say, Shut up!
6: Oh, is that so? <laughs> yes,
4: that's so. We've had it up to here with your teetotaling tantrum. Oh, I
6: get it. You want me to start drinking again? That's
4: not
7: what I said.
6: Ah, don't be paranoid. You'd like we... that, wouldn't you? The old Dr. Pierce from South Korea. He was all the rage. He had that cute little wobble in his walk, not to mention his rosy cheeks with eyes to match. That's what you want, isn't it, Margaret?
3: If everything's so damn clear to you, Mr. Keen senses, how come you didn't notice that I'm the one who's been defending you? That is up to now.
5: Well, you don't have to get huffy. <coughs> I don't know, Pierce. I think she's got a good case for the huffs. Excuse me. Ma'am. Yeah, Lieutenant? She so, yeah,
3: writes duty masters out on that. Yeah? So? No. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah,
6: yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure.
3: <laughs>
6: See you.
5: You silver-tongued, sweet, darkened son of a gun.
7: Good afternoon, Major.
5: That is your opinion, Father. Uh, Entree,
3: Major?
4: Uh, what is it? Italian kind of people. No, thank you, much sister's marrying one.
3: <laughs> you know,
4: uh, Major, perhaps it's not my place, but... I'd like to point out that the Italian people of the world a great deal. Art, culture, Renaissance. I hope you'll reflect on that. Try to accept the situation. Thank you, Vala. but the closest I come to acceptance is when I console myself that at least she's not marrying an Irishman. <laughs>
3: oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why is everyone so pesty? <laughs>
7: okay, that's quite amusing. <coughs> So, it's just the hawk's little love nest. If there's one
6: thing I can't stand, it's delicious, delicious gossip that I've started. Should
7: you sure you don't want some?
6: No, thanks. None's my limit. Don't let me stop you. Don't let me stop you, though. Are you okay? Are you kidding? I'm having a terrific time. Great company. <clears throat> great music.
7: Mm, yes, especially the drum solo.
6: <laughs> oh, sorry. It's the music. It really gets me. I mean, even, when they, even when they play catch, I can hardly keep them dancing. That's it.
3: Uh,
7: what do you say when we sit this one out?
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right,
7: what's the matter? Nothing, really. Nothing's the matter.
6: You know, it would go a little (laughs)
7: easier.
6: Huh? Well, that's your third glass. But who's counting?
7: (laughs) Oh, this is a switch. Most guys think it gets you in the mood.
6: We need artificial stimulation just to be in the mood.
7: Are you in the mood?
6: That's not the point. (laughs) What kind of a relationship could develop between two people who are drunk all the time?
7: Hawkeye, what's with you tonight? I came here because you seem like a terrific guy. Warm, tender, great
3: sense of
6: humor. Oh, sure. A couple more belts of that stuff and say the same thing to J. Fred Muggs. (laughs)
7: This little tete-a-tete was your idea, not mine. You gave me the impression we were going to have an intimate, romantic evening. If I had known I was going to get a temperance lecture, I'd have made a date with someone more fun, (laughs) like a cadaver.
6: Come back, I forgive you. (laughs) Excuse me, I'm looking for the American Society for the advancement of bigotry and button noses.
4: Ah, Klinger, my constant reminder that Darwin was right. (laughs) Major,
6: let us understand each other. Your snide remarks at the expense of of swarthy peoples everywhere shall henceforth cease and desist, or you'll never see this letter from your sister.
5: Give it to me. Ah,
6: ah, not until you say, olive skin makes good kids. Give me that!
5: Okay, I'll settle for a kind word about
4: olives. Miracle of miracles, the weddings off. What happened? Your family?
6: Uh, your, fr- your family had the groom beheaded. But, uh,
3: his
4: family intervened. They forbade him from marrying out of their faith. Don't you just hate narrow-minded people? Thing, I, I must get a wire to my sister. Attention, everybody <laughs> coming wounded. Get yours while they last. Tell your friends. I, I hate seat.
6: when people drop in uninvited. Major. I
4: know. I know. I know.
6: I'm coming.
7: Okay. Mm. Scissors, Doctor? What I
6: ask for them, lieutenant?
7: Forgive me, Doctor, but you are finished with the subject.
6: I do you know I'm going to cut it off? I'm an expert fisherman. Maybe I'm going to
5: bite it off. Oh,
7: why not? That's what you're doing to my head. All
5: away. Right, all right. Can't you see I need the scissors?
7: Doctor, please watch your temper.
5: Maybe you two kids should take a weekend in the country.
6: I recommend separate countries. Take them away. I have a gentleman in the journey, Doctor. Thank you. Our next contestant comes all the way from Peking. His interests include gai pan and collecting and trading American prisoners. How about a big mash welcome? Just here. put him on the table. <laughs> Winger, for God's sake, why are this man's pants still on? Don't blame me, old surly surgeon. I don't peel him, I just push him. Corman! Never mind, it's too late now, but don't let it happen again. Oi, 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 what the hell? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> all right, all right. I take
3: you with me, imperialist Yankee Dog. Yes, doesn't <laughs> that? sound the... <laughs> like a Chinese. No, <laughs> <It>
6: sounds <laughs> like Igor. Yes, what the hell are you doing over there? This crazy bastard's got a live grenade. Don't panic, he's holding the handle and I'm holding him. Will
5: somebody give him a hand? No, stay back. Hold on tight, son. Your fingers are all that's standing between us and Kablooey.
6: This thing could be his
5: five little Dutch boy. Let me go. I'm
4: not afraid to die.
6: Easy, easy.
1: Somebody get on of gas and get under him. Get him under. <laughs>
3: <laughs> do whatever you can. stack am up. You
6: nasty GI. What are you doing to me?
3: <laughs> you foolish, yeah. foolish GI. What are you doing? <laughs> Maybe I'll do it. <laughs>
5: uh, should we evacuate the room, sir? No can do. We can't put footmarks in these boys and come back tomorrow.
4: There's no gas getting through. The tube is broken.
5: I'll go get the spare tank out of post op. how long do you think you can hold on? For the rest of my life. Listen up, everyone who doesn't have to be here, skedaddle, pronto. Okay, Pierce, we gotta put the pin back in that grenade. Where is it? Sure, it's me. Well, then use something else in there. You dolt, a needle, a swab, anything. This is no time for experimenting. That's a commie pineapple. We gotta find that the, the pin it came with. Okay, anybody with a free hand, get on your knees and find that pin. Padre, as long as you're down there... I'm
2: already praying, sir.
5: (laughs) Oh,
6: good. Uh, You got us all wrong. We're doctors. We're good guys.
5: Look, white hats. Let go of me. Let go. Here's whatever you do. Try to calm that boy down.
6: Calm them down. What am I supposed to do? Sing to him? Music app charms, huh? Somebody tell me know this. I'm
5: baby,
3: don't say
6: a
4: word. Papa's
3: going to buy you a mockingbird. Feel
5: free to join <laughs> in as you know it. <laughs> That's the ticket, Pierce. Keep singing. If that
6: mockingbird don't sing, Papa's going to buy you a... Pop, Papa's going what to... The, what the hell is Papa
4: going to buy you? What <laughs> diamond ring! Diamond ring! <laughs>
3: Everybody! <laughs> if
4: that diamond ring don't shine, Papa's going to buy you a silver
3: mine. If that silver mine goes that
7: What you doing? I found the pin. Well,
3: yes. move your damn foot. <laughs> <voice. laughs> I'm standing
4: on. That yeah. Hold them. Hold him the steady, world. for God's
6: sake. Okay, okay, stop the singing. I got it. I got it. Now you show up. Where were you a minute ago when we needed a baritone? I got
7: it! I got it!
3: <laughs> <laughs> Lower! <Yeah. laughs> I love you! Okay, <laughs> can you hold it down, please? Five more minutes. Hold
4: it! Mr. I can only say that I was remiss That means I'm sorry.
3: (laughs) Is there a chance the telegraph
4: office in Seoul has resumed functioning? Good. Well, yes, I would. Thank you, there's a good (laughs) fellow. Hello, uh, this is Major Charles Winchester, uh, MASH 4077. I wish to send a telegram to Honoria Winchester, 33 Byrne, Lane, Boston. Uh, yeah, Massachusetts.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dear
4: sister, I received two shocks today. The first was your letter, the second was an experience that brought my personal values into devastatingly clear focus. Stop. Both made me realize how precious is life and the loved one with whom we share it. Stop. You're about to receive boorish letters which I deeply regret sending. Stop. Please attribute them to greatness of distance and narrowness of mind. I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. Stop. I finally realized to my shock and shame that you are no longer the naive little sister I left at home. I wish I could be there to share the pain you feel. It's only now that I've begun to comprehend its depth. Stop. Love. Charlie.
5: Okay. They all walk in again. Padre, finding that needle in the haystack makes you man of the hour.
4: Thank you, Colonel. i like to think I was motivated by heroism,
5: but when you get right down to it, I was saving my own hide. Well, I'm just glad my hide was so close to yours. <laughs> well, I'm buying a round of drinks, and they're all for you.
4: Thank you, sir. Um, <clears throat> have a scotch?
5: Bourbon. My usual, times two. Can you use them? Okay, make it a beer.
7: Scotch, neat.
5: Same here. Hawk, did I hear you right? You hopping off
6: the wagon, Pierce? I just spent five minutes serenading a guy holding our lives in the palm of his hand.
4: Oh,
5: Hawk, I don't give up now. You've only got two days to go. Let the boy make up his own mind, folks. If Carrie Nation had been in that O.R. with us, she'd be getting a little juiced herself about now.
4: Hmm? You had me fooled, Hawk. I thought you were going to make it.
6: Look, I admit it. I need this drink, all right? I'll be back when I want it, not when I need it.
1: I cannot put into words how special it was to hear that audio of the table read. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it was. You're hearing real history. Yeah. And uh, after listening to it, you know, I thought I was the best, actually. <laughs> in listening, I listened carefully, and I did. I thought I was the best.
1: It's just so cool to hear. I mean seriously it's it was like being a fly on the wall listening to that and and I'm sure it brings back memories for you Jeff too
0: Indeed and believe me there were many flies on the wall there <laughs> That soundstage, you know, had issues, but you really, I mean, I get chills, you know, listening to it because it's real history, you know, in all due respect to two brilliant guys like us, it's not just two brilliant guys like us talking in, you know, 2021, it's real history. You're listening to the real deal at that moment in time for that episode. Boy, it, it does. It gives me chills and it was really fun to listen to and hear all the wonderful people that we love.
1: And we're not done yet. No. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. As if this episode couldn't get any better. (laughs) We are now going to play a portion of an interview that we did with our friend Dan Wilcox. Dan, along with Thad Mumford, wrote the episode that you just heard, Bottle Fatigue. So we're going to get uh, some behind-the-scenes stories of the writing of that particular episode now with Dan Wilcox.
0: Well, uh, Ryan and I uh, have been talking a lot about bottle fatigue. Certainly, it was uh, one of the best. I just watched it recently again, and it was just a wonderful show. I was amazed that it dealt with two very serious subjects. Uh, You had bigotry and alcoholism, and usually MASH kind of had one wacky, kooky, funny thing, and then the other one was pretty serious. This one, boy, you had two pretty powerful subjects going on.
2: Well, it's interesting. I didn't think of us as doing anything special about bigotry. We were in it, (laughs) and then... Kind of said so plainly, and the, the one person who espoused it and thought it was legitimate was Charles Emerson Winchester, and who listens to him? <laughs> yeah. so I, I thought it was kind of a one-sided battle, but I also thought the use of it at the end was wonderful. Oh, yeah. Not to take credit for this, you know, we laid out the stories as a group, the entire writing staff sitting around a table in Burt Metcalf's office. So we all together laid out that story. Can we go back just for a second and start there a little bit?
0: I, I'm, I know a lot of people ask us a, a lot of questions about writers and what had happened and how the scripts got created and who did what and all that kind of stuff. Can you just kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of how an idea comes to being and then how is the decision made to follow that idea and then who gets to do that?
2: Well, <sighs> All of us had ideas, seminal ideas for we could do a story like this, we could do a story about that. All of us could point today to story outlines that are there because we had a thought. But in this case, there were a whole bunch of things that, that came together. And uh, you, this is something you may not know. Do you know the name Maurice Connolly? Uh, no, I could Google it, but no. <laughs> he wrote us a letter to the writing staff early in the, the, my first season there, which was year 8, I believe, 8, nine, ten, and 11. Yeah. He had been the commander of a mass unit in Korea. Mm -hmm. And he had a few stories, most of which we ended up using before we were done. Wow. But one of them was, and I remember having it, it was read aloud to us. One of the producers, Jim Mulligan, had the letter and was reading it aloud to us. One of them was about, he was in the OR at work when they brought in an enemy soldier and they treated enemy just like friend so the guy was going to have surgery. The man came in with his pants on. So his Chinese patient is wearing a pair of pants. They were supposed to be nude in the OR. They were supposed to be ready for work. And he had just complained about the guy having his pants on when the man reached into his pants pocket and took out a hand grenade and pulled the pin. Wow! So that's a real deal. That really happened. It really happened. Interesting. And, and I remember where I was sitting when I heard it. My, my the hair stood up on the back of my arms. Yeah turns out, and I I spent probably two hours on the phone with our our military consultants saying, how does this work? What happened here? I don't know if you can tell from reading it, and I don't know if the audience can tell from watching it, because we couldn't stop in the middle of a moment like that and explain everything. Mm -hmm. But a hand grenade, when you pull the pin, the handle flies off. It's spring loaded. Mm -hmm. When the handle flies off in its path, it trips a spark, uh, and that goes to a fuse, From there on, it's a fuse burning down to an explosive core, just like what Felix the cat would use. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So what Maurice Connolly was able to do, and therefore Hawkeye was able to do it, was reach out very quickly before the handle flew off and hold it in place. Uh, Until it flies off, it doesn't strike that spark and it's not going to explode. Mm -hmm. Then they could say, anyone who's got a free hand, get down on your hands and knees and find the pin to this grenade. Obviously, they found it. And having found it, they had to go back to work and do the surgery on the same guy who just tried to kill them.
0: (laughs) Wow. I I didn't know that was a true story. So that's amazing.
2: So you just have that chunk. We knew we wanted to use it somehow, somewhere. uh, And I was thinking, boy, I wish I could write write that one. (laughs) So the idea that we worked with in this story was Hawkeye Gives Up Drinking. and It's a classic kind of a thing to sitcom to do. Take something that your character always does and make him try to stop. Mm-hmm. And I remember John Rappaport, who was, I guess, a consulting producer at that point. John did a bunch of the research called doctors and said, what experiences with someone who drinks a lot and he stops drinking, what would be different? And there were things like his senses would be no longer blurred by alcohol, so they'd be clearer and things that he used to not mind would smell bad to him. So it was all, we were mining it for humor. Mm-hmm. Well, somewhere in there, before we actually laid out the story, somebody said, "You're going to write that script." The Hawkeye quits drinking, and I said, "Oh, well, that's good. That was a good premise." And uh, we're going to put in that hand grenade scene, and it was like I hadn't actually prayed for it, but God had answered a prayer I didn't make. <laughs> and the rest is is obviously on the screen. There's stuff that this doesn't happen in it. When they get down on their hands and knees and start uh, looking for the pin, mm-hmm. Thad and I wrote a moment where Klinger finds an earring he's been missing for weeks. (laughs) That's great. And Bert said, "No, you can't fool around with it now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's a hand grenade; almost going to go
2: off. Forget yeah. about it." <laughs> That's wild. And then there, was, there was some wow. I don't know if it's too soon to bring this up, but there was some disagreement over the ending. The basic trajectory of the story was: Hawkeye tries to quit drinking. It's not as much fun as you think. He's he has a date with a woman, and he he's kind of antsy and uninterested in her. That was Shelley Long, by the way, the woman. Yes. Yeah, it was
0: Shelley Long. Nurse Mendenhall, yeah. yeah. She
2: was not famous yet. They had shot the pilot of Cheers, but it hadn't broadcast yet. Mm. Wow. Uh, the idea of it was to show why they drank so much. Mm. Mm-hmm. Alcoholism is regarded as a legitimate, insurable disability in the Veterans administration. Mm. So this was take your character. He tries to quit drinking. It's a minor annoyance for a while. He's succeeding. And then put him through one of the worst experiences of his life.
7: Mm hmm.
2: And now, how does he feel about drinking? And my vote was I would have wanted him to go back to drinking. Hmm. That was sort of the purpose of it was we've been looking at something serious that we treated frivolously for years.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and here was a real look at it that I think we could all understand. Mm-hmm. Alan Older didn't want to put out a negative message. I don't blame him at all. Uh, it's still made for a very strong ending. But there was a difference between Hawkeye taking a drink or what was ended up in the script. He says, I need this drink. And his friends all stare at him. And he puts the drink down and pushes it away and says, I'll come back when I want it, not when I need it.
0: I thought that was really great because it split the difference a little bit. Yeah, he'd probably go back to drinking, but he's going to do it on his own terms, which was a very strong statement. Exactly. I'm drinking now, as a matter of fact. I don't know if anybody hear this. <laughs> <needed it. laughs> <laughs> well, how, where did Charles's bigotry happen? I, that was new. I, I had never heard him do that really before.
2: You know? We assumed the character would fit with that, and he did. It it didn't occur to me until this moment that there that was a a departure. (laughs) Yeah,
7: yeah.
0: You know, we certainly knew Charles's personality, but it it almost bordered on mean spirited. He could be snooty and and pompous, but I I never felt mean-spirited until that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I look at both Hawkeye's storyline and Charles' storyline being very similar in that both of them have these traits, these certain traits, and when they're put in a certain situation, those traits are then amplified. So with Charles, suddenly he's facing the, in his opinion, the terrible thing of welcoming somebody outside of a certain lineage into his His family. For Hawkeye, it's giving up drinking. And with Hawkeye, his self righteousness is amplified to the point where it's almost unbearable for the people around him. Mm -hmm. And for Charles, his bigotry is amplified also to the detriment of. (laughs) People around him because he offends uh, Klinger, he offends Father Mulcahy, he he offends everybody. And neither one of them necessarily think that there's anything wrong with what they're saying. So I I see similarities in both of those.
2: Well, interesting, because Hawkeye is right. (laughs) Jesse's a pain in the neck. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Charles is not. Yeah. You know something that really, this is an aside, my wife had a very good friend when we met who was Italian-American. And he he was a writer. He wrote uh, mainly screenplays. He tried to talk to me about that episode several times, but he accepted it. He didn't feel put down by it. That interested me when I realized so that as he was trying to broach the subject, it wasn't clear what direction he wanted to take the conversation. And we never did have that talk.
1: Maybe one of the reasons is because in the end, Honoria's fiancé... His family is the one that calls off the wedding. <laughs> yeah,
2: <that's> <laughs> <great>. <laughs> but really, I don't remember why we did that with Honoria's fiancé. Probably to distribute it so it wasn't all about one thing. But I think we could have done the same scene for Charles, writing her a letter, forgiving her and accepting, without that. That hmm. it wouldn't have changed. What, one of the striking things to me about it, both Hawkeye and Charles have lived through this experience. Charles goes straight back to the swamp and writes a letter to his sister. It's full of love Mm -hmm. and regret at what he's done up to this point. Mm -hmm. Because he's looking at the world with new eyes because he almost died in the operating room. Mm -hmm. Hawkeye comes to the brink of drinking and talks himself out of it. Actually, the others keep quiet. At the decision point, the others are just looking back at him. Mm -hmm. Because of what he's lived through, both men are changed by the experience. Both men are improved by the experience, you could say.
0: It's amazing how much uh, detail and how much thought uh, and how much, uh, analysis of human behavior goes into a moment like writing a mash script or any script that's well written and, and well defined and trying to really understand the characters and starting with what you have and where you get to. It's an amazing amount of real human effort uh, to understand humanity and the way people behave.
2: Yeah, I, know, I, I think that's true. But MASH demanded that of you more than most shows. You know, the, the point I kept starting to make, I still haven't made. <laughs> <laughs> Charles is writing a letter. He gets to say nakedly, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I've just been through. This is how I feel about you, my sister. But his commentary also explains Hawkeye's moment to us.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: And kicking that to Charles made the Hawkeye thing happen much more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed that I read the script, I hadn't read it in, the, what is it, 40 years? Hmm. I read it yesterday. And there's a lot I didn't remember and a lot that I did, obviously. But that usage of Charles to do the talking so Hawkeye can have the experience. I thought it was wonderful. Is that something that
0: in, in the sitting around writing it, is that something you talk about and plan, or does it just sort of organically happen as you're doing what you're doing so well?
2: Sometimes it comes up. If we could talk for a moment about a show that's very distant from this in time, about four years later. The final episode where they had the uh, time capsule. Yes. Hawkeye. Didn't want to participate in this uh, time capsule. Yeah. But something changed his mind. And we knew we had a story that Burt Metcalf had heard. interviewed people who served in Korea about a chopper pilot who uh, saved the guy's life. The heater broke. The the coolant broke. So he could only fly about 100 yards at a time before the engine would overheat and have to land and wait. And he did. He got the guy back miles back to uh, a mesh unit by going 100 yards at a time. And that story was originally in there for someone else to tell. And I remember saying, I think Hawkeye ought to have this story. He's the one we listened to. And that and a couple of other rewrites that happened at the same time, it became Hawkeye's story. And it was very powerful with him doing it.
7: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: All right, so now back to this one. I don't recall us discussing who it would be more appropriate to have talk, but I loved that it was Charles because he was so eloquent.
1: Mm -hmm. And it gives him a redemption story there at the end of the episode.
2: Of course. This terrible experience with hand grenade has made him see what a jerk he was being. <laughs> Life is precious. Yeah.
0: I, and I know that you and Thad wrote it, your writing partner, Thad Mumford, who sadly passed away some time ago. Uh, but I know that you guys together, you wrote that script, the two of you?
2: Well, we laid out the story with John Rappaport, Jim Mulligan, Burton Metcalf uh, leading the team. Mm-hmm. All of us, it had something to do with laying out the story itself. And we wrote this, this first draft script. This was the common practice then. And then the entire writing staff would gather and rewrite. I think we did, before we were done, four or five complete rewrites of every script. Wow. Well, it was a, the thing that, that working in single camera, you sort of have to work that way because you, you want to shoot your very best version of the work. In multiple camera, you're rehearsing it like a play. And you get to test it out on yourselves as an audience. You get to see it and then fix it and then go through it again. So we were finding a way to to do that without doing the usual sitcom labors. But I'd never seen something rewrite that much. Hmm. I was very happy with the product. There was a joke of mine in there. And I don't usually, I didn't usually, and I don't usually do jokes. But it made it all the way to to, to the air. (laughs) I'm proud of it. (laughs) One of the running stories in it was Charles is being such a jerk and Hawkeye's being such a jerk that BJ can't get any sleep.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: Charles comes in one of those scenes, Charles comes in drunk. <laughs> oh, someone knows the joke already. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and BJ says, will you guys shut up? And I forget, I forget what Hawkeye says. All right, Charles, we've got to be quiet. And Charles says, my lips are seals. <laughs>
1: Dan, you may not believe this, but in my notes, I have written, my lips are seals. <laughs> really? One of my favorite Charles lines. Love it.
2: Yeah. You love that character. Yeah. <laughs> Oh,
1: that's great. I'm curious about when you finish writing a script like Bottle Fatigue and then, you know, we hear the audio from the table read and we hear these actors reading these words for the very first time aloud uh, sitting around the table. Those table reads, as a writer, what are your memories of table reads and would you then do additional rewriting after a table read sometimes?
2: Oh, yes. We had done four or five complete rewrites before it went to the cast. Then Alan Alda was a big help in this because he could translate for us. He spoke writer and he spoke actor. <laughs> Jeff, you must have seen this happen. Having completed the table read, and you get some kind of a raw estimate of what's working and what isn't from the way the, the cast reacts to hearing it's work. But we would go through it then page by page, inviting anybody who had a note to give it to us now. We would try to accommodate the notes. If we weren't going to, we would work it out in discussion. I felt very taken care of as a writer. We weren't forced to do anything we hated, and pretty much usually it was an improvement. When you say you were, you felt taken care of by who, <laughs> by what? By the process. This process. I think it probably had a, that the process uh, was originated under Larry Gilbert. Yeah, uh, and they had such respect for him. I mean, you know, I. I Alan has a wonderful story, except he's forgotten the punchline. (laughs) The cast performed one of Larry Gelbart's typos. And his example, and he says, this is not it. His example was, the line was, open the door. It was supposed to be open the door. (laughs) They said, oh, look, there's a typo on page six. No, 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 this is Larry Gelbart. (laughs) What's really driving at the scene? And they figured out why it was open the door and why it was funny. And nobody knew until Larry was in the dailies the following day and said, "Open the door." <laughs> <laughs> so I wish I knew what the actual wording was. But yeah, well, we had that too. We weren't Larry Gilmore, <laughs> but we were to be respected. Yeah, a lot of shows will just take whatever the writers have done and make changes. Hmm. There were stories from all the family of Carol O'Connor doing that on the set, rewriting a scene and performing it his way and saying, that's the way it's going to be, guys. Wow. Yeah. Uh, We were part of this. I guess I felt protected by everyone, by Alan being such a wonderful diplomat who did speak both languages, by Bert, who was in charge of the writing. Yeah. We were happy with, satisfied with whatever finally got shot.
0: It's interesting because Bert did not necessarily start out as a writer. He became the executive producer. Right. But he had so much uh, influence and so many good things to say about the story and how to shape it.
2: He was really valuable in the rewrite room, it's more than he ever credited to himself.
0: How long if you can? Maybe this is an impossible thing to answer, but sort of from start to finish, when finally it's decided that it's going to be a story about Hawkeye trying to stop drinking and, and uh, Charles trying to prevent this wedding from happening. From that point on, how long does it take to get to, let's say, the first draft and
2: then to the table read? Uh, about two weeks. Really? It could be as fast as that. Wow. Well, no, no, I'm sorry, from laying out the story? Yeah. That's a month. Okay.
0: Was there a moment where you get to the table read and something really doesn't feel right, just really doesn't work? Sure. Yeah.
2: Mercifully, I can't think of one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was other writers. No, not yeah. any of ours no, writers,
0: no, right? no, not a <laughs> mash, but it could happen somewhere.
2: I can't think of something that we shot that I was embarrassed by. The, the one with the, the show with the uh, time capsule, that was about to be sent to the cast. And we had a weekend off, and we came in on Monday, and I said, I have a couple of ideas. We were not happy with it. It was about to be said to the cast that we didn't like it. Hmm. And Bert said, all right, everybody try to think of something this weekend. And I, I did everything I could not to make it me who did, who did it. I, I said, did, did I guess everybody have any ideas from over the weekend about what to do about the show? And I had two, which both went in. That's the only show I can remember where I was thinking, this is not up to our standard. Ah, really? And by the time we were done, it was mm-hmm. it felt That really awful until it was fixed.
0: What would be a potential thing that wouldn't be up to the MASH standards, did you feel, in that particular script or some other script? You can give us an example of what you said, no, that's not right for MASH. That doesn't work.
2: I mean, there was, there was kind of, there'd be jokes sometimes that we would say, no, we don't have to do that. We did one where the whole unit had the uh, Thanksgiving turkeys that had promoted. Gave everybody the trots. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Charles was forced to help Hot Lips wash sheets, and she said, "You know, take this sheet." And he said, "I don't have to take this sheet from you." <laughs> 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 Not be surprised. Bert wouldn't do that joke. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, well, I'm laughing. I mean, what the heck?
2: Why <laughs> uh, don't anyone denies that it's funny. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. But it wasn't quite MASH standards.
1: Yeah. You said that you yesterday read the script for Bottle Fatigue for the first time in 40 years. What's it like now going back and rereading some of those scripts that you wrote 40 years ago or, or watching an episode that you wrote 40 years ago what goes through your mind when you are reintroduced to your own writing
2: i hadn't looked at it in so long that some of the stuff that i took for granted wasn't there for me now i wasn't looking at it and saying oh that's impressive (laughs) it wasn't as good as i remember and it was definitely better than most of television
1: (laughs) i wholeheartedly agree (laughs) Special thanks to Dan Wilcox for making this special episode even more special. And good news, Jeff, we have more of that interview with Dan to share sometime down the road. We talked to him for another, you know, 45 minutes about writing. We just didn't have the time. No. This is already a supersized episode, you know?
0: Absolutely. And I look forward to that as well. But boy, this has been a true behind-the-scenes episode of MASH Matters. I don't think you can get any more behind-the-scenes of MASH than what you just heard. And again, thanks to Dan Wilcox and Thad Mumford for writing the episode. Yeah. Uh, thad mumford was a very very talented very wonderful nice man and we miss him and uh dan wilcox yeah you know he's all right (laughs) no dan wilcox is one of the nicest people in the world he's a talented talented man and a wonderful friend of mash matters and us and he's a really really special nice person so thank you dan
1: And thank you to our Patreon VIPs who help make this podcast possible. We want to give you a salute. Some of our VIPs include Private Jesse
0: Taylor. Corporal Russell Burbage.
1: Captain Dolph DeVries.
0: Captain Charlene Christian.
1: Captain Lisa Fetzko.
0: Major Mark Prater.
1: And Major Gabrielle Fortier. (laughs)
0: We spare no expense.
1: Help us upgrade our sound effects by becoming a MASH Matters <laughs> VIP. Enlist today at mashmatters.com slash support. Thank you so much for listening. You can always reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter. You can email us Podcast at gmail.com. And you can call and leave a voicemail under three minutes in length at 513-436-4077. Thank you to Michael Hirsch, David Ogden-Styers, and Dan Wilcox. And thank you, Jeff for uh you know being you
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay well that's good enough thank you and thank you ryan for thanking me i really appreciate it thank you
1: until next time here's looking up your old address